but but if you ran it multiple times, you'd still got you'd still get some kind of cat dustbin hybrid, but it would look different. You'd recognize you recognize the dustbinness in it, and it makes you think dustbin. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's such a stupid conversation. <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to Bad Voltage Season 3, Episode 44, this season that will never, ever, ever, ever end. Um, That's not today, true! I suspect this will never end. What's going to happen for it to change to Season 4? We're going to like start it in the metaverse or what, something? What I, like, what I honestly can't remember is... Where did we get to with season two? Because I'm now slightly worried that what happened is we got near a hundred, and then I got scared that a three-digit episode number would break everything, and that's why we I changed think, seasons. Yeah, that, I think that was it. <laughs> well, season one was when we were with Brian, so there was a logical change to season two, and then I can't remember when we went to season three. <laughs> I I so. honestly think that, but you know how um everyone was worried about after the Windows ninety five when it came out, its version number was actually four or something because it would break <laughs> every batch script on Earth that assumed that. <laughs> <laughs> the version number had gone up by 91 or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Good t- good times. Anyway, sadly, we don't have uh, our little friend and compadre, Jeremy Garcia, with us today. Uh, I know we've had a little bit. It took us forever to do a show, and then I wasn't on one, and now he's <laughs> not on one. Now, I know some of you get a little bit nervous about this. Don't worry, mum and dad aren't breaking up, okay? We're all still friends. <laughs> However, we are having a threesome today with a new, with a friend of the family, and that's Alan Pope. So it's good to have you back, Mr. Pope. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking me. It's very kind. Yeah, it's sexy. Um, so um, before we get to you and, and your shenanigans, uh, what are we going to talk about in the show? language so my main topic of conversation the thing i want to talk about is ai generated artwork so there's there's been a recent spate over the last um couple of years of things being generated by ai imagery and videos and so on um and a few things have come up recently which brought it back to the forefront of my mind something that aza raskin friend of the show did or possibly friend of the previous show depending on how you look at it and <laughs> Um, but I want to talk about, um, something he did recently as an art piece and how that plays into some bigger thoughts about copyright and ownership and the nature of art and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get Berkeley in this one. Um, (laughs) is it a spate or is it a spat? It's a spate. A spat is an argument. Well, that's what I thought too, but I've heard people say there's been a recent spat of, I don't know, shootings going on or whatever. Those people are wrong. Um, <laughs> secondly, you, 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 Colonel Kurtz, you have gone fully native if the, literally the first thing you thought of was shootings. Well, Maybe shootings. you should move uh, home. I appreciate again. <laughs> And thirdly, yeah, I've also heard people around you say things like herbs, and they're also wrong. And niche. That annoys the shit out of me. Niche, for that yeah, matter, is niche, worse. Niche annoys the shit out of me. And herbs. It's like, come on. All right, so uh, before we get into uh, channeling our inner Jerry Garcia, um, Popey, what have you been up to? It's been a while. What have you been uh, working on? Uh, well, it's coming close to one year since I left Canonical. and uh, Has it been I, that long? 
Really? Yeah, it has. Wow. Yeah, 30th of April. Um, <gasps> and I was bored last weekend, so I thought I'd write some, some code, uh, like you do. I mean, I call it code. It's a shell script. Um, and <laughs> I thought I'd make something fun and interesting that people might like. And so I created a thing which users can run on their system and it audits all the snaps that are installed on their Linux desktop machine, probably, and then figures out the correlating flat pack for that snap <laughs> and then installs the flat pack and then uninstalls the snap. And optionally, completely <laughs> remove SnapD as well. Um, you can you know, completely nuke it from orbit. So, yeah, I made that. And it, a couple of people made news articles about it. It's the it's the orange purge. <laughs> a bit, yeah. Wow. It was wow. A, a big it's... picture with a Ubuntu logo and like a middle finger. <laughs> Actually, it's a, it's a red, it's the, it's the, um, Snapcraft logo with a red circle and a red line through it. And it's called Unsnap. Wow. So when you left Canonical, did someone take a shit in your like parting <laughs> gift bag or something? Like, <laughs> there's, there's a nice, there's a nice animated gif of, uh, um, Homer Simpson driving across a bridge and throwing a match out behind him as he goes. I think it's a bit, <laughs> that, that has been referenced. And then this, this is interesting because I mean, obviously on the last show we had, uh, George Castro on and he was talking about mm-hmm. flat packs. And this is another thing. Is this, you know, the tables turning or is this? Just some men want to watch the world burn kind of a A bitch. I don't know. I I think it's just a useful utility. I, I, when I worked on the Snap team and we kept an eye on what was in the flat pack, flat hub store. And we obviously worked hard to get loads of stuff in the Snap store. And since I've left, I don't think the momentum has been kept up on the Snap side, but it has on the flat pack side. And there, there is a lot more momentum in applications. And so I just thought, well, if that's where the momentum is, if there's more people putting more packages in FlatHub, then why not help people migrate from one to the other? It's as simple as that. Yeah. Which I think, and, and, um, I mean, as you say in the readme, this is, it's a utility. It's for people who want this and will find it useful. It's not a, not a political statement. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been perceived as such <laughs> by quite a few people. But to be honest with you, while you were on the Snaps team, Everything you did was perceived as a political statement one way or the other, and none of it right. was then either. So, yeah, 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 it's like exactly. I mean, either way, you get people are going to take that viewpoint, aren't they? You know, um, you're not doing this out of you're not doing this to be snide, right? You do no. this because you think it's helpful for people. And, yeah. and it's funny how the uh, messages I've had from people, DMs from people um, about this, you know, telling telling me that their perspective of me has changed as if <laughs> as if i'm suddenly a virtuous person because i make this shell script and put it on github or that actually i was a complete shithead when i worked for canonical and now i'm slightly less of a shithead because i help people move from snaps to flat packs i don't know it's it's very weird that people people like seem to think that because someone pays you to do something and that's the thing you do, that that's all you can ever do. And you can never change your perspective. You can never have any other point of view. And, and it's all set in stone, which is just ludicrous nonsense. I mean, that, and that exists everywhere in the world, right? But I feel mm-hmm. like it exists especially in certain portions of the open source community, yes. right? And especially in the Linux world. Like it, 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 it became, it's become quite tribal. It certainly was years ago. Um, 
But like, yeah, it's it's and it's so silly because you can be more than one person, right? Like, it's okay. And and someone left a comment on Reddit that said something like, well, "What if someone creates a utility that goes the other way that converts people from flatbacks to snaps?" And I'm like, "Yeah, go for it. Knock yourself out. Go I'm, for it. I'm probably That's not going to create that, but someone could use the metadata that I've got. I've got this. All it is is a CSV file with a list of snaps and a one-to-one mapping to a list of flatbacks. You could just use that same file and convert the other way. Go for it. I don't care. It's fine." Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. Wow. I think it, it would be really useful to make that like a collaborative project, right? Have more. Mm. I mean, I know you've, um, uh, so one of the things Unsnap does, which is rather nice, is it creates a list of snaps you've got, which don't seem to have a corresponding flat pack at the moment, which you can then easily drop into a GitHub issue, <clears throat> which means that Alan can then pick it up, uh, or someone else can pick it up and go, okay, now this is a target of things to package for Flatpak or um to update the file because there is a corresponding thing or whatever. And there's no reason why that couldn't be used in reverse too. Great. No problem at all. But yeah, it's, I, uh, I mean, this, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. This, all the stop energy you get from people who, they, they want to be tribal. They want to find, um, partisan reasons to have a go at anything the other people do just because all they know how to do is argue i mean this sort of thing shows up in politics a lot as well yeah but the idea that the the, the opposition give out free ice cream and you gotta find some reason to complain about it (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah it's it it's it's really it's really irritating the thing that really bugs me is when whenever like you say other people the other side does good things right um and and people will refuse to acknowledge it. Like a Linux distro puts out a really cool piece of technology or, you know, you see this, for example, when you see this in the state of the union, when, you know, something good happened and half the, the room won't, won't applaud it. Yeah. Just out of, just because they're not on the same side. It's like, come on people. Like we're, we're all human beings. So anyway, but that's interesting. Popey. Have you had any, um, uh, snarky words from canonical about this? Uh, no. Um, my, uh, a little bird tells me there have been conversations internally about it. Um, <laughs> unsurprisingly, <laughs> but it's, it's on GitHub. And if people want to, um, find it, it's on my, my GitHub repository, Popey slash unsnap. And, uh, if people want to help check it on different distros or make sure it's compatible with different distros and also contribute to the app list, as Stuart said, there's, it's just a CSV file with a list of snaps and a list of flat packs. And if people want to add to that, some people already have. Um, but it can always be made better. Um, and I've actually just reported an issue earlier today where I've provided a list of every snap in the store and a list of every flat pack in FlatHub. And I don't know if someone could programmatically fuzz the list together, um, to find those matches or if humans want to just do it for me. That would be great as well. Oh, I see. This, this feels like a human thing to me. So, yes, yes. um, so, uh, full disclosure on this, I was aware of this project because the logo was designed by me for a start. Not that it was hard, um, but you know, and I did some <laughs> early testing and so on. And one of the things I like about it is that it's quite sensitively handled. So it's a terminal, uh, utility, a command line utility, right? But equally, um, uh, the only people who do this have a, have a, have skin in the game. They have some kind of a reason to make this shift, which is semi-political in nature. Even if the tool itself is not, anyone using it is. And the number of people who would be like, 
I don't know how to use a terminal, but do want the thing that this does is zero. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. mind, I don't mind that it's a terminal tool because anyone who, um, uh, anyone who's like, but I don't understand the terminal of this kind of thing. You'd be like, well, you shouldn't be caring about what format your thing arrives in. Just install from the software center and you're good. Just yeah, just go to the software center. Why and would it's you there. even care right. about what format yeah. the archive that your programs arrive in is, right? No well, one yeah. cares. You you might care if they're slower to start or they have confinement, uh, well, which <laughs> makes them harder to use. That that you might care then. Maybe, but then what you're doing is you're digging yourself the immediate grave of having to build gooey unsnap which you probably don't want to do because it's a lot harder someone Um, did suggest that i should uh i should publish unsnap in the snap store as like a snake eating itself so someone snap installs unsnap and it then that's like that's like next level trolling at that point i I feel like that would be probably a bridge too far but as i said the thing i liked about it being semi-sensitive is you don't run it and then it does it what happens is you run it and then it generates a set of shell scripts which do it so you can then look at those and then run them one at a time. And the first one will make sure you've got Flatpak installed. And the second one will make sure you've got Flat Hub installed. And the third one will actually install all the Flatpaks you need. And the fourth one will then uninstall the snaps. And the fifth one will remove Snap itself. So it's it's got this quite sensible, um, softly, softly, catchy monkey. You don't, you, you may remember, you'll both remember the thing, but I can't remember the name of it. In the old days uh, with Ubuntu, there used to be, a third-party bash script which would add a bunch of other repositories and um remove a bunch of stuff and and oh, it did and it did yeah. apt get dash dash force and then installed a bunch of things and i can't think of the name of it and it was the worst because their pitch was all just run this and it installs flash for you i've got and it. the nvidia dro- automatics it was that's called it. <laughs> right yeah that's right and the, go- the goal that it had wasn't necessarily a bad one. It was basically get Ubuntu and turn it into what became Linux Mint, right? Where it's that we're downloads and installs loads of packages and doesn't care about security. But, um, this, the Unsnap doesn't work that way. The, 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 the problem with automatics was not what it did. It was how it did it. So it's like, I'll just install over the top of all the stuff you've got and I'll just turn off all the warnings because you don't understand the warnings. You're like, they're there for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the fact that this doesn't do that. Yeah. So good work, Mr. Pope. Good work. Thank Pope. you very, very much. interesting. Thank very you. interesting stuff. So, um, so do people go to, um, github.com slash popey slash unsnap to get it? Yep, absolutely. You just uh, clone the repo. There's instructions in there. Just clone the repo and run Unsnap. But there is a warning in there that says the status is, I think I called it pre-alpha, which means it kind of works on my computer. Um, it works in your computer alone. <laughs> yes. But other people have tested it. It seems to work. This is like the um, software release version of grade inflation that people now just run software, which is beta. Like, I think Gmail might still be in beta. So now we need, we need a word for, for pre-alpha, which you're not supposed to need. That's what alpha is meant to mean. <laughs> Can I talk about AI? Yes, let's talk about this. this is, I'm quite excited about this discussion. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting. So, um, uh, a bit of backstory. Friend of the show, Aza Raskin, uh, who spoke at Live Radio Live, is a cool guy, wears a hat. Wears, <laughs> actually definitely wear a hat. wears hats. 
That was like. Does fifth, he still wear hats? Not as much. I have to say, this is a very old joke. It is a very old joke. We 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 used to take the piss out of him wearing weird hats. Like sixteen years ago or so, long. we had a competition where people would Photoshop their own like stupid hats onto pictures of Ace Raskin, and he was cool about it. It was. Um, and the competition was called Stupid Hat for Corporate Tap. That's right. <laughs> oh we did provide God. some corporate hats. <laughs> Wow. Backward, back in the days when naming was the most important thing in a podcast. <laughs> anyway, right. Um, he's just done a bunch of stuff and he's part of the Center for Humane Technologies and, um, he does a lot of, um, kind of thinking about the way technology is and how it fits into the world. Yeah, he's so a cool guy. He is a Dave, cool Dave. guy. He's really smart. Um, and he's been, uh, working with a woman called Zia. Cora, I'll come out. I just yes, Zia Cora, and she's a musician, and she wrote a song called Submarines, and he made the video for it. But the way he did it was to use um an AI tool called Disco Diffusion, where what you can do is you can you can feed it a query, a textual query, and it will then generate an image for that query, and it's alarmingly good at it. Right? It's incredible. The, yeah. The images you get tend to have quite a sort of a dreamlike quality, but they, they are recognizably the thing that you entered. And it's not just like, you know, a flower. Um, uh, you can feed it, uh, names of actual people and their faces will show up and you can feed it quite accurate descriptions of a scene and you get you know outside in a market at night in a medieval town um with stars in the sky and uh brian blessed in the foreground and it will do a reasonable job at it it's mad these <laughs> things are really really impressive yeah. but the thing that i i've seen that before everyone's seen that before um I'm sure you've all seen things like uh, This Face Does Not Exist, which is generated by a StyleGAN AI network. Yep. Very recently, um, Simon Butcher um, and Terence Eden um, collectively put together, well, Simon did, I think, a lot of the AI work, um, collectively put together a thing called This Bench Does Not Exist, which is trained on the open benches uh, data set of images. So now it generates realistic-looking benches that aren't actually real. Right? This stuff works on anything. Um did you say open benches? Yeah. 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 I, it's, it's <laughs> open benches is awesome. If you're, uh, if you're out and about and you see a memorial bench, so a bench that's got a little plaque on it, you take a photo of the plaque, uh, you take a photo of the bench, you take a photo from the bench. You could take multiple, like, and, and do a panorama and everything, but you take two or three photos, you go to open benches and you just add to that bench if it's not already in the database. And it will do OCR to determine the inscription. And you you can correct that if there's any, you know, if it's a blurry or not very clear, indistinct, you can correct the um, inscription and upload all the photos. And because they're GPS tagged by your phone, then the location of the um, uh, bench is recorded in open benches. And then someone else can then find that bench either by searching for the name of the person whose inscription it memorializes or just by zooming in on a map and finding somewhere near where they are. I've, I've submitted a whole bunch to it, to it when I'm on holiday and I see a bench and it's got an inscription on it. The kids will be like, dad, there's another one. And I'll um, submit That's it. That's cool. Good. It's yeah. open street map, but for benches. It's- yes. <laughs> it's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just found some benches near me. See, this That's is interesting. 
I'm, I'm amazed that's not in, you know, the Google thing, you type restaurants near me in Google Maps, should be like benches near me. <laughs> benches near me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the thing that um, Aza did when he put together the video for this song by Zia Cora is he used uh, Disco Diffusion to string together a bunch of images. And this is the thing which prompted me to think, wow, I've not seen this before. I'd seen a bunch of AI-generated artwork, but it was all still imagery. What he did was he basically wrote a list of textual queries, so things like dead face charcoal sketch, or Salvador Dali on a clock face, or a pile of candy as depicted on art station. Stuff like this, right? A list of 30 or so queries. And then he fed that to Disco Diffusion as one thing. It, it takes a while, um, to generate this stuff, but so it, it'll generate, um, not only a frame for each of those, but frames to animate one into the next one. So you feed it 30 queries and tell it, you know, each one should be, I don't know, three or four seconds long and fade into the next. And you get out a three or four minute video, a music video. Which means that he went from not having a music video at all to having generated this thing in 48 hours. He opened no image editing tools, nothing. All he did was write the list of queries, feed it to Disco Diffusion, gets out a music video. Job done. All he did is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. All right, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into the detail a bit here. But that to me is, that's fascinating because, I mean, I could do that, right? I, I can't paint to save my life. I've got the musical ability, artistic ability of a rubber hammer. It's just, you know, the way it is. But I can enter in text queries and get out. I think I, it gives me a way of, to some extent, being able to visualize what's in my head, outside my head, right? Mm. How many times have you thought about something you'd like to see, some piece of art you'd like to create, um, a, a slide layout you'd like to do, a room visualization you want, and what you'd like to do is just press a button on the side of your head and have it print out <laughs> so you could look at it and right. show it to other people, right? <laughs> I mean, hands up here, hands up here who has done writing for money, right? <laughs> the goal of writing for money is to, um, find some way of depicting with words a thing that's inside your head to people outside your head. And it's really bloody difficult. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I, yeah, I've seen the video and I've also seen the, the open bench stuff and, uh, the, uh, Simon also did some wallpapers for ubuntu based on the animal names the release names in the past and also made a video of one transitioning to the next same kind of thing ai generated that that is done with that is done with disco diffusion same thing yes right and they're all very interesting and very cool but i do worry that the novelty of it will wear off very fast like i didn't even watch the whole of that video because i kind of knew what was happening so, you know, having seen all of the videos that Simon's made and all of the wallpapers that he's made and seen the open benches stuff, I felt like once I'd got like a minute or two into that video, into that music video, I've experienced what it's doing. And I, and I don't know that if you show me another one that was a different music video or some other creation, not necessarily a music video, maybe it was a, a, a drive around a, an imaginary village or something and, it generated the entire village, you know. I think after the, a couple of minutes, I would get bored of that as well because I feel they're all very samey. Well, so to be clear here, it, it is early days for this sort of technology. So what Aza is doing there and what a lot of people are doing with this at the moment is essentially stringing together just a collection of images. Um, 
And so, yeah, you, it does tend to generate the same kind of art. Disco Diffusion generates images which feel similar to one another. It's a style, isn't it? Yeah. And if what you're doing is moving from one of those to the next and that's your thing, then yeah. But essentially having a bunch of set pieces and moving between them is the art of storytelling. And, and so someone who makes a film, that's their job to do. And at the moment, people aren't really trying to do that. The very fact that you can type in dead face charcoal sketch and get an image of it 10 minutes later is amazing enough by itself that what I think Ace has done is he's not really telling a story. One of the things that a bunch of people um, said when uh, it was published, uh, um, Zia and Aza video, was to say it would be good if the imagery and the song reflected one another. And he's like, yeah, that's the next project, right? <laughs> oh, so it's the music video. Is the video not using lyrics from the song? Not really, no. Uh, oh. It's sort of, it's meant to be, yeah. What, what he didn't do was just feed it essentially the lyrics. So oh, right. what you get is pictures of what Zircor is singing about. No, it's, um, it's like most music videos, right? It's all very abstract. <laughs> um, right. But I think that I'm not worried about. The thing where you say it's all quite samey, that I'm not worried about because what it needs is someone with some storytelling skill. You know, you want, um, or so, I don't want to have a pop at Aza here and suggest that he hasn't. He just wasn't trying for this first one. But the idea of going, okay, I've got a series of small set pieces. Now I'm going to turn them into a unifying story with um, meaning and so on. It's Francis Ford Coppola's job. It's not the people who design the AI's job. And Aza would certainly agree that there were going to be people out there who are much better than him at doing that, right? Yeah. What's interesting to me is recently, this is, tangentially related you know recently i'm working on some music for the for the next baron carter release and i was putting together and i found this woman on fiverr who makes music videos and um obviously to film an actual music video is very expensive and and all the rest of it it wouldn't work for us because the band members are in different countries but what she does is she makes music videos out of stock footage so she you know she's a member of story blocks or whatever. And what I did is I basically sent her the lyrics and explained what was going on at that point of the song. And then in a similar way, she was pulling bits of stock footage and assembling it together to tell the story of the song. And okay, it seems to me it's a, it's, it's similar in spirit here, right? Is that what you're doing is you're writing source material, source code for a music video that might, not necessarily be the lyrics, but it might mirror kind of what's going on. The difference here is instead of grabbing stock footage, it's actually creating <laughs> visually what it's going to look like. It feels like you're, what you're explaining is like using Node and NPM, and you're pulling in a bunch of pre-written modules and putting them together to right. make a make a project. Right? Yeah. Whereas this thing is more like the GitHub code generator thing. The yeah, just copilot. magic. Yes. Yeah, yeah copilot. exactly. It's the the analogy to those two, I think. It is. I mean, part of the thing that I find interesting, you, Jono, there, you said source code. And Alan, you talk about, you know, GitHub Copilot and pulling in code and things like that. I don't know what my intuition is on this, because I've done some work with this uh, for an upcoming project and so on. And I, as I've done a bunch of this and a lot of talking to Simon and uh, Martin Wimpress, friend of the show, and people are, who are working on this. And 
one of the things that becomes quite apparent is there's quite a lot of skill in choosing the right queries. It's not just a question of you type anything you like and then you get the thing you want. Learning to phrase it in a way that it gets is really interesting, especially since this is a skill because it's not like normal computer programs where you go, well, that's you doing it wrong. Um, if you say this, it'll be better because you understand the underlying Python code because it's bloody AI. You have to learn to use it like it's an instrument or something. There's no actual right answer, which is, on the one hand, amazing. And on the other hand, it's bloody infuriating. The idea that you can write a computer program and not understand how it works. It's a black box. You can't say to GitHub Copilot, please make me VR Minecraft and expect no. it to just like <laughs> magic. <laughs> just spit it out. The code no, in, not, the, in not, not this year. Maybe GitLab Copilot could do that. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but more importantly, my, I'm interested in your intuitions on what this is. Like, are those queries the source code for Aza's video? If you were to do a similar thing, you had to put in some effort to come up with the queries which correctly expressed your view, and you probably would go, that's not really the image I want. I'll go in and refine that query, and I'll go in and refine that query. Um, so beyond the mechanical aspects of it, where you say, I want each one to be five seconds long or whatever, there is actual creativity in this. This is not like writing the phone book. So if those are the source code, if someone else takes that source code, and then runs it through Disco Diffusion themselves and gets a similar but not identical video. Is that, in your opinion, a derivative work of your video? I, I, I don't care about what lawyers will say because there's a there's a whole raft of legal stuff coming about this in the future. Be prepared, lawyers, buckle up. But I'm interested in your intuition. So Aza published all the queries that he used to generate this video. He said, built this video in 48 hours. These are the queries I used to do it. If you took that, ran it yourself, and got, as I say, a different... It, if you run the same query through DD twice, you get two different images. They're not... They, they're both images for the query, but they're not the same. It's not... Quick clarifying, a qu- clarifying question. So so when when you're using dis- Disco Biscuits or whatever it's called... Um, <laughs> disco Diffusion. But there are loads of others, to be clear. The way the AI is trained is it's fed images, right? It's fed all kinds of different images. So if I was to take... It's fed both images and images with text prompts. Okay. So I was just going to say, like, is is Disco Diffusion something you run on your machine locally? Or is that like a service? Like, if I was... Would I I run... If I was to copy Aza's source code and run it through Disco Diffusion, I'm... There's like running it through the same disco diffusion that he used is one thing, but then if I was to take my disco diffusion and teach it a whole bunch of different images, that- uh, no, if you if you if you run it with the same thing he did, you will still get different images. If you run it with your query and then run it with your query again thirty seconds later, you'll get two different images. Um, but my question is: is to me, there's a difference between running the same source code through the same Disco Diffusion or running the same source code through a Disco Diffusion that's been trained on different images? Because stylistically, it's going to look different, isn't it? Yes, but DD is... Um, the whole point of Disco Diffusion is the training model, which is this, everyone uses the same one. Right. For this particular thing. There are lots of other different things, but they're all on the same model. Most people don't run it on their own machines because if you run it in the cloud, 
you can run it on a farm where they've got loads of NVIDIA cards and you haven't. So it's faster. Right. Because you I, can I, run I, it on I was your just own machine. S- and Simon, for example, does because he has a million NVIDIA cards, which I don't. Because I was, the, 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 the only reason why I'm cl- asking this is that in my mind, take, let's say you take A as a source code and you were to run it through Disco Diffusion with the same model, right? Yep. Stylist, like to me, that's that's more. This this is not the right set of words, but that's more ripping something off than if you were to run it through um, a different model where stylist. Let, let to use a, a simple example. Imagine Disco, whatever it's called, has been trained on um, Backstreet Boys style imagery. It's all you know, dudes sat there with white clothes on on benches and stuff like that. That kind of look but then the alternative is you have a black metal like satan evil kind of model where everything's dark and miserable and gloomy you're going to get very very different output i would imagine and to me that's that's part of the process that's to me is part of the decision i understand what you're saying um the model is the hard thing so so everyone tends to use the same model because training a model takes a lot of time and effort right. and nvidia cards. which is fair enough yeah yeah so in general, everyone shares the model. That, Disco Diffusion is the combination of that algorithm and um and another algorithm and that model. And there are a bunch of different models you can download for it, like six or something. But in general, people don't train their own model. How different is it if you were to run the same? If you were to run Aza's source code to Disco Diffusion again, how different do the images look? Do you know? <sighs> Are they like slightly different colors, but the same no, thing? No, 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 no. Are they, they totally they, they different? They are recognizably images of the same query, but they can be very different. This is really hard to describe with words, right? Because the images themselves are quite hard to describe with words because they're always quite conceptual and dreamy. You can recognize them for what they are, but it's not like here is one thing and here is another. It's like... um they're often look like they're transitional images between a, a from and a to, like it's going from a laptop to a pot noodle, right? And halfway in between, yeah, right. you, you kind of partly see a pot noodle and you kind of partly see a laptop. And right. it's the same going from a cat to a dustbin. It's like, well, it's a cat with like dustbin features or it's a dustbin with cat features. And they're all a bit like that, but they're, but, but if you ran it multiple times, You'd still got, it still get some kind of cat dustbin hybrid, but it would look different. You'd recognize, you recognize the dustbinness in it, and it makes you think dustbin, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's such it's, a stupid conversation. I say it's hard to describe, man. <laughs> so, in, going back to your question, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. What's your intuition on this? Well, I have difficulty with this saying that the query is the source code. Cause like right. if I try and map this to, our open source world. We have compilers and documentation and libraries and APIs and source code in the open source world. And it's not just one part of that that makes the product. It's not just the source code that makes the product. There's all the libraries and the documentation and the inherent knowledge that you've built that's standing on the shoulders of giants behind you and the compilers that were built with other compilers that were built with other compilers and so on and so on. There's a lot that was built up to build where you are now. Yeah, there's a lineage, and, right? Yeah, and yeah. I feel like the AI model is like an accelerated version of some of that, and it's playing a very big part in this. And the human who's coming up with the queries, and then, as you've said, generates different images, so there's probably some curation in there as well. I would imagine 
they selectively choose some that are good and some that are bad. Because I've seen what Simon's generated and some of them he's thrown away. He's got many, yeah. many images and he, he curates them. So there is some human element in this beyond just the source code of the query that was entered to get the images in the first place, because you get a thousand images and some of them looks like cat dustbin hybrids and high, yeah, hybrids. And some of them just look like trash. Right. And so yes. it's more than just source code. And so I, I don't think, I don't think you can limit your, 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 your blanket, you know, intuition about whether this is, um, you know, copyright theft or, you know, um, stealing somebody else's work when there's so much else in there other than just the source code. I think, yeah, part of the reason that I don't think I have an intuition on this is that it, I don't think it does map very well onto the existing world. Cause take your thing, right? Um, so if you write a, uh, if you wrote a program at work, um, and, um, uh, it did a thing, whatever, that would obviously be owned by your company, right? Not you. Um, but then if you go home and write, you write unsnap at home, all the stuff you described, the, um, the compiler and the interpreter you're using and your background knowledge and the text editor you used and the environment you built it in and the headspace and all your learning you've done would be the same. The only thing that actually changes is the source code, but that's the copyrightable bit. Um, it's not, but that doesn't the seem same. to map on to this because in I've, my I, head. I, uh, no, because I've learned from the thing I did at work that day. So if you, if you draw a cat now and then tomorrow, yeah. Someone says, draw another cat. And I mean, you, human being, yeah. Stuart Langridge, draw on a piece of paper a cat. They'll both resemble cats, but they won't be identical. Just the uh, same if I as do, if- it will look like a cat dustbin hybrid. <laughs> but yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice callback. Uh, but if I, if I wrote, um, something at work and then I go home and the very same day without looking at the code that I did at work, like, Imagine that's locked away proprietary code at, at work. And I go home and I'll start trying to write the same thing again. I can't hold the mental model of all that code in my head. And I would start writing and I would write something different than I wrote earlier because I would have learned from what I wrote earlier. And I, I might think, well, actually, okay. at work, I did this thing. And actually, there's probably a better way of doing that. Or the garbage collection could be done differently. Or maybe the documentation could be better. Or I could break the program down into different modules. And so I, I, we're not automatons. And so we wouldn't write the same thing twice. Um, I don't think uh, it, not uh, once you get beyond like a thousand lines of code, you're not going to write the same code every time. Well, and, and the thing is as well is the, the, I guess what's probably bet, a better description than source code for Aza's thing is it's more like a script, right? And yes, like a screenplay script, you mean? It's like a screenplay. And in reality, the screenplay is 5% of the situation, right? Like it's, it's the, it's the it's manifestation, the, the visualization. Ah, of, of, yeah, have you it, never it run is. into any screenwriters who would punch you in the face for claiming that it's no, no, 5%? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not, I get it's not 100%, but five is harsh. But I get, I'm not talking about screenwriters. I'm, I'm talking about the person who consumes the content, right? They care about the performance and lighting, the looks music. And, yep. Yeah. All of those different pieces. Like that's my concern with this, with, with, with this thing is that, you might be able to share the source code or the screenplay or whatever, however how we describe it. But going back to my example of the video that I'm putting together for my band right now, when this woman was putting all these bits of stock footage together, 
a big chunk of the skill was her lining up thematically similar stuff that looked and was and she'd do like color grading and all the rest of it to make it look cool because if i'd have done it i'd have just ended up with all kinds of random things it would look like a hodgepodge yeah and i think that to me that's why i was asking earlier on about what the imagery looks like because that to me is going to be the most important piece who cares if you use the same screenplay what matters is the output of the video. That, I, I, yeah, so some of that, so there's been a new model released uh, called DAL-E. Uh, that's uh, only in the last week or so, and I'm on the waiting list to get in and play with it, and I haven't yet. But that apparently generates right. even better images from prompts and so on. And I think that will continue being refined, but that's being refined by other people. Um, what to me is more interesting is not the model necessarily. Uh, we should acknowledge here that there's a whole big question about these models tend to be trained on public imagery, which is not necessarily public domain imagery. And there's a whole big legal copyright question about that, but we got into that about GitHub Copilot, so I don't really want yeah. to get into it again. Um, but leaving that, yeah. leaving that yeah. to one side, to me, it's not the model's not interesting. It's what people are doing with it in the same way that the people who make instruments are not interesting. It's the people who play them. I care much more about ACDC than I care about Les Paul. But what's interesting to me is, 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 is. Don't think. What, what is, what, what did Angus play? <laughs> don't think it was a Les Paul. No, he played a Gibson SG. I thought you'd know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Continues to play a Gibson SG. The, the other one that died. <laughs> sadly. Um, uh, What's interesting is we're saying that the it's it it's like the model in my mind is the meaningful bit, but you're saying that in your mind, Ak, the meaningful bit is the is the script or the screenplay, right? Because to me, what what generates the artistic output is the model. Like, and that's the differentiation. Well, it's a sum of all and the inputs. It's it's not just the model. The model is one of the inputs, and the script is another one of the inputs. And then the curation of the person who's put those in is another person, is another part of it's the It's all inputs. of it. Frankly, yeah, it's everything, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Which is why I was trying to map this to, like, compilers, documentation, libraries, APIs. It's it's not just the source code. Like, it's it's the culmination of lots of things put together, the work of many people. Like all those photos that were taken that were fed into this model. Like I took a load of photos that are in open benches that Simon downloaded and fed into the model. And so some of my artistic work, the way I took photos of benches has fed into that model. So I have input in that that has come up with this bench does not exist. Those, those pictures that exist now. Yeah. But was I a pivotal part of that? No. I mean, you could argue that it wouldn't exist if hundreds of us didn't take photos of benches. And, and that does seem to map onto the open source world quite well. Like, um, I have code in the desktop that uh, certainly me and Alan are both looking at. Not a lot of code. Am I a pivotal part of it? No. <laughs> but I'm able to look at this and go, <laughs> I I contributed to this. It's a yeah, little, you helped. It's a yeah. little bit... Well, I was going to say it's a little bit better, but it's a little bit different because of what I did. I don't think it's unfair to say it's pivotal because if you surgically extract all of the code that you ever wrote from the desktop, A, it probably wouldn't compile anymore. <laughs> and, and if it did, there'd be bits missing. So it is pivotal. You, you might, you know, it's not like landing on the moon significance, but I, I think every, all of this stuff 
builds on the work of others and we're all pushing in the same direction. And no, I agree. And, and I, th- I feel like you shouldn't diminish the effort that each individual person puts in both as an individual and as part of the collective. And, and the other thing as well is, as we talk about all the time in open source, you get projects like NTP, um, yeah. which are a tiny fucking detail that most people in the world wouldn't even know about. But when that breaks, <laughs> bad things happen, right? I agree with you, Popey, that I think what makes open source so great is it's, 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 it's hundreds of thousands of piv- pivotal moments. It's not just the single one. Like we need to kind of get away from, you know, the big personalities of open source and the fact that they do what some people think of as most of the work, right? Whereas in reality, that's not the case. So, and what's interesting to me is, what's interesting to me as well is when you talked earlier on about like the images that go into the model with the benches thing or just in, in the disco biscuits thing, um, uh, that's kind of how music, that's how art gets produced, isn't it? Like when I write a song, that song is the output of thousands and thousands and thousands of other songs that I've listened to in my life that manifest in that. I think very few artists are genuinely groundbreaking. I think 98% of them aren't. They just, they're creating derivative works from millions of inputs. Um, and arguably that's what's happening with this AI thing, isn't it? Like it's, it's taken all these pictures and then you're, you're in the same way that I use a guitar to write a song, it, you're using, you know, you're writing your source code to generate the output. You're essentially automating the process of your art being the product of your own experience. Right. I like how you're comparing Jono using a Fender to Stuart using G-Edit. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, seems fair. Um, Everyone has the, everyone has their own instrument to play. <laughs> and what, what, what is interesting? This is kind of getting a little bit metaphysical at this point, but, um, there's, there, there's a lot in this of what is art. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. Like when I write music, I am fundamentally limited to what I have learned. Right. So my music can only be as good as the music that I've been exposed to. No, I disagree. I, you well, there's could, a certain amount of like... There's a, a lot of experimental and, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what, what people consider to be music. Like you look at jazz, for example, that can go a bit out there. To a much more prosaic note, you can do things like download drum loops and stuff, right? You didn't have to think of them or write them or whatever. Yeah. You can piece... There are whole genres of music which are piecing together samples to make stuff, right? It's not all someone sitting there with their warm guitar tone. (laughs) No, no, no. But what I'm saying is I think the decisions you make in how you stitch things together or how you write songs or how you write lyrics or whatever, a lot of your creative experimentation will, in many cases, be from when you've heard other artists do it and you know, oh, it's okay to break down those boundaries. Because I think kids grow up in a world where everything is defined by um, by rules, right? I was watching this, this, this amazing documentary series on Netflix called Abstracts and I was watching this this one about this woman who makes kids toys and she was saying the problem with a lot of toys is there's a right and a wrong way of playing with it right and 
Really? Kids, yeah, and kids love toys the most where there isn't a wrong. Like where, like it's one of the reasons why Lego has been so successful is that there's the right way to build the car that you get in the kit, but then you can build anything you want outside of that. And and so kids get out of that rigidity. And I think in many cases where you get really experimental music, it's where you get people who, um, who listen to all kinds of random shit and they're like, I don't feel limited by anything in particular. And the reason why I'm saying this is what's interesting to me about the AI thing is that other people can feed input into the model. So you can play the metaphorical equivalent to the guitar, which is right in the script. But then the model, which is the combination of of, of artistic experience, can be fed from multiple different piece, people. Like Whereas when you make art as a human being – you're limited to your own what you know and what you've been exposed to. Yes. I wasn't lying when I said it was metaphysical. Yeah, yeah, no, you, <laughs> you're not wrong. I mean, what I think is interesting uh, about that, about what you're saying, is yes, this does essentially distill a whole bunch of experience more than any one individual person could get into into a thing. What what I think will be most fascinating is a year from now or two years from now when we have this conversation again, but it's about music. And there are AIs out there where you'll tell it. Some people, some AI people would say you can already do this, but you basically can't. But they would all say soon you'll be able to, where you could describe a song and it will write a song and it will be good. Yeah. There's actually a, there's an AI, there's a, there's some, some guy on YouTube who generates AI death metal and it sounds identical to other death metal bands. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously this is, obviously this is easier with death metal than, you know, good music, but the principle yeah. is, oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm coming around to this idea that we're in the embryonic stage of this like there's a few of these models that you can use to generate the images and videos it feels like we're in like i don't know the 11th century when it comes to music making and there's just so much more ahead of us and like you say if you came back to this in a year or five years or 50 years there'd be more of these models that are trained on all manner of different things and you could yeah maybe literally just think of something and press a button and it comes out you get a hard copy of whatever it was maybe even 3d printed model of the thing you were thinking of it's it's certainly possible and i i do feel we're in very early stages of it and it can apply to anything right because i forget who it is there's some some guy has written an ungodly amount of pop music that everybody knows, like Britney Spears, Katy Perry, all that kind of stuff. And he's got basically a formula that he uses. Like he knows the songs need to be three and a half minutes long. He knows there needs, he knows there needs to be like, um, an upbeat intro, whatever, even like the BPM of these songs. So it wouldn't surprise me if AI will get to a point where you could replicate that formula, but then, for for the rest of it, like all the crazy jazz shit, like twelve minute songs with the you know eight minute flute solo in the middle of it, that's just randomness, you know. Like you can create whatever you want with AI, right? That that you're <laughs> describing the idea of formulaic pop pop songs coming from a, like a playbook which generates the same thing. 
this is how people would tell you Simon Cowell made his money and Stock right. Aitken and Waterman before him back in the 80s. Like, this is not a new complaint. Hey, look at um, yeah. Identikit 50s crooners or Identikit 50s girl groups, right? And you yeah. go, who's this yeah. song by? Is it the Marvelettes or is it the Cordettes or is it the Chilites? They're all the same. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> As is. long as there's yeah. been popular music, there have been cookie cutter band concepts the obviously idea, the, acdc is the exception here <laughs> I, I feel like Air, airborne would disagree with you but yeah okay. one one long song broken into 60 pieces <laughs> is that going to be the downfall of this like the 37 different types of stories just get fed into the ai and disney just punch out a thousand films a year and you're done that's it it's uh there's no room for creativity then once the ai gets that good I think there's an uncanny valley here. I think there's an uncanny, and I think we'll we'll always have an uncanny valley of. Oh God, I'm going to sound like such a hippie, but like there, are, I think it'll be very difficult for computers to really replicate feel. Oh, like there is something man. about feel, you know. But Clapton, Eric Clapton said it right. He said, you know, it's not the notes that you play; it's the notes that you don't play, and it's so true. Like I could play a, a passage on a guitar, but a really good guitarist the way that person would play exactly the same notes would would sound like a totally different piece of music. I don't know how computers will ever be able to... You see, we've now stepped from what is art to what is art criticism, which is even harder. But the seminal work on this is um, iRobot, starring Will Smith, (laughs) where... Have you seen it? Yes. Where Will Smith is is talking to the robot, Sonny, and, and and they're arguing about this precise point, whether um whether a robot, whether a computer can create art. And uh Will Smith says to says to the robot, Could you write a symphony? And the robot goes, Could you? And you go, Ooh <laughs> <laughs> And it's quite an important I mean uh, you know how you, you read sort of Zen koans and you're like, and then and then I was enlightened kind of vibe at the end of it where Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had this kind of oh blimey. Yeah, because you talk a big game about yeah, computers will never be able to do that, but most people can't either, and it's very hard to get any six critics to agree on which piece of art actually does that transcending the formula thing well i think part of it is that what makes a lot of things interesting is its mistakes like a lot of the greatest music in the world is actually imperfect you listen to jimmy Jimi hendrix and he makes all kinds of like the way he plays actually isn't technically perfect at all and how do you teach a computer to be imperfect right i mean outside of kubuntu obviously <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was an unnecessary dig up with kubuntu <laughs> Um, for, for a bloke complaining about his sound not working before, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, my sound works all the time, apart from when it doesn't work. Um, defense rest, Your Honor. But, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think the thing Pepe says there is the most important thing that we're, we're, we feel like we're really near the beginning of this. It's so exploratory and the field is changing really fast. And I've, I've changed my tune on this quite a bit because five, uh, 10 years ago i'll say um i always found it annoying in sci-fi stories where people didn't understand how the computer worked because like that's not how computers are right there's going to be someone who wrote all the scripts and everything and now increasingly people are 
prodding at these AI models, trying to work out how to get it to generate the imagery you want, in the same way that you would experiment on a biological organism, where you fundamentally don't understand it, and all you can do is experiment on it and see what you get back and learn from it. And it seems disappointing and annoying that things have to be like that, because we're crap at understanding things by by examining them by experiment. It would be much handier if we could understand how this works, but if that's the way it's got to work, yeah, maybe we end up in a future where we don't understand how a whole bunch of our technology actually works. All you do is learn what's what it's best at. Well, we already don't know how the YouTube algorithm works and you get recommended stuff. There's just a black box that, that just recommends stuff to you. And sure. if that gets, if that gets yeah. scaled up to, you know, our operating systems, you come in in the morning and it, starts up random applications thinking you might need them because that's what you used a year ago today or because other people who have your hair color start these applications in this order or whatever (laughs) whatever it might be and you just won't understand why and i and i i wonder if we're you know we're so early embryonic are we going to get to that point where we just don't know how computers work and there isn't someone there who wrote the scripts because one ai begats another ai which begats another ai and eventually you're it's turtles all the way down, and the script yeah. was originally written right down the bottom, and you, you've got no idea. Yeah, even unto the 50th generation. I mean, I think already the YouTube algorithm, I think in the early days of YouTube, yeah, someone sat down and worked out a bunch of rules. When someone watches a video like this, they watch a video like this. And then eventually all that went away, which is why tags aren't important anymore. And they realized that the recommendations you got were for other things like the thing you watched, but it wasn't actually increasing the amount of time you spent looking at YouTube. And now I don't think there's anyone out there who could explain the YouTube algorithm. There are people who know a lot more about it and what you they what they use to train it and the kinds of parameters they're expecting into it and out of it and so on. But there's not anyone who can go, this is why you recommended that video because you'd watch those. I don't even think you could call it an algorithm. That's not an out al- the whole point of an algorithm is you have a bunch of defined inputs, a bunch of defined steps, and a bunch of outputs. It's an al and fine, AI is like that because it's all executed on a computer, but it's like the weather is. If you could predict literally everything, you could do perfect weather prediction, but no one can because of chaos theory. You get sensitively dependent on initial conditions, and AI is yeah. the same. It reminds me of a conversation. There's this, there's this woman at X Prize who, um, you know, would, would just say just things like, you can't post to Facebook more than X number of times a day because it will impact the algorithm. And it's like, how could you possibly know that? You have no idea. <laughs> like, it's all guessing. Like people, like you say, no one knows. No one knows how the, 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 the people at Facebook do, but like. Well, you see, that, that to me is the thing. I feel like in my head 10 years ago, I would have assumed that there was a line of source code somewhere which says if post is greater than four, uh, importance equals importance minus five or something, right? Yeah. yeah. But there yeah, isn't, yeah, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> I think no. maybe there used to be 15, 20 years ago, but now there just isn't. No one, yeah. there's no actual line of code anywhere that says that. It's for the same reason no. that why is this butterfly the color it is? <laughs> it's Yeah. I don't know. It's just good. I feel Lots like. Lots to think know, about in this show, isn't there? I know. Crikey. <laughs> We started out with Unsnap and we ended up with what is the definition of the universe? Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably wrap it up. We've been going for a while. 
Yes, um, although I, I felt we should um, take some time to thank um, the least automaton person on the earth, someone who does add a genuine personal touch to this show, which yes. is Marius Quarbeck, who does the editing, because he's brilliant. Yes. He is. He puts a lot of work into it as well. Anyone who saw his live Twitch stream, uh, thank you, Marius, for all the great work. Yeah, I do. didn't even realise how much work he has to put into it. So cheers, Marius. That's really useful. <laughs> puts a lot more in than when I used to do it. <laughs> I, that I can tell you, because, because you basically did it with an algorithm, which was just save them all in one Cubase thing and then press export as MP3. <laughs> the algorithm, there, there was an algorithm. It was get this done as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Marius goes through it. He cuts out all the silence. It's really, and so um, I don't know if his YouTube youtube i don't know if his twitch stream is still available but if it is you should go and watch it but if yep. you need someone to do uh audio editing for you or media editing in general um have a look at nerdzoom.media and talk to marius quarbeck yeah he does video does audio fantastic lovely guy um and thank you popey for coming on the show it's uh always a, a lot of fun no worries thanks for inviting me yeah, yeah thanks very much is there um yeah. uh, is there anywhere people should go to find out more about what you're doing <laughs> uh yes go to github.com slash pop slash unsnap or the ca- canonical glass door excellent okay thank you very much people and we'll see you next time peace out bye